Hello, listener. It's a new day. It's a new dawn, and it's another podcast here at last. Indeed, you are tuned into the Future Co Podcast, a series about the individuals and companies who are inspiring a new era of business. Today's episode is an ontological excursion into the nature of Future Co and what we really mean by the term itself. This is something that we perhaps should have done at the very beginning of the series, but hey, it's all about learning and adapting, isn't it? Joining me on this course of clarification are Wonders Strategic Design Director Alyssa Stoisolovich, as well as Wonders CEO Tobias Dahlberg, who by now are both Airwave regulars. So without further ado, here's Future Co in a 20-minute sized nutshell. The story is that we have been interested in, we've been following a lot of companies internationally that are doing really well and doing interesting things and and, uh, more specifically redefining the business that they're in or redefining the markets where they play. And uh, these type of companies are extraordinary. They're, They're just somehow able to do something very different in a way that really matters to their consumers or their customers. And we just started using this term. I don't really remember where that came from, but we started referring them to uh, them to, to future co's uh, as opposed to like an old co. It feels like they are very fresh. They're doing something new. They're they're breaking through the clutter. And uh, yeah, so we came up with this term and, and we started tossing that around and referring to these companies. And as we are in the you know in the consulting and design business, we we felt that they're kind of an ideal uh, company that that many that we have been studying and we want uh, to learn from and also the, to, to help our advise our, our clients to, to, to apply some of the same principles and thinking that these future codes are applying. Sure. So it's something that exists already and future codes are out there, but it's also an ideal to strive to for, for these old codes that you mentioned. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say they're exactly like unicorns or anything, but they are, they are definitely companies that are fit for the future. Like they're really looking ahead. They're, they're playing to the trends and the changes that are happening in the marketplace but perhaps more importantly, they are companies that are are really different. They're not trying to compete to be just better. They're competing to be the only one in their space. Right. A lot of the new brands that have been emerging, especially the platform brands that we all know, the Ubers and the and the Airbnbs and all these guys, they are quite, uh, I would say, unique in their space, and and that's why they're strong brands as well. Alyssa, what would you describe as being attributes of uh, of a future co? Maybe we actually need to take just one step back. So we zoom out and we look at what's actually happening within these companies who are looking to uh, create change and and Mm. separating Mm. themselves from the rest of the pack by looking at culturally how to do things differently. Uh, What we see through our own research and studying of these companies and also studying where the market's going and looking at big trends and, you know, a lot of things that have been impacting that space, uh, for example... Uh, large consulting firms buying, even buying up small design agencies to become more agile or become more scalable and looking at these types of companies that are, seem very future-oriented and future-facing, uh, meaning that they're aligning all of the aspects within their business to exist five years from now, to exist ten years from now. The attributes are moving more beyond, let's say, did we create a new product category? Did we create a complete disruption in the market? Are we defining a, a radically new space entirely? It's also one one attribute is defining a new space, defining a new business, but they're also looking at ways of working internally, 
how are we aligning for the future, so shifting from the industrial age into the digital age and ensuring that we have the right ways of working for today to ensure that we will have a company that is healthy and profitable and resonates with not only their employees but consumers and, and let's say, even corporate social responsibilities for the future. Sure. Every company has to face uh, both the present and the future, which is to say, like, on one hand, you have to squeeze everything you have out of, you know, every... every sorry, I'm going to rephrase that one more time. Okay, so... <coughs> <laughs> okay, okay. And we have to okay. give it like a two, two yeah. second silence. Yeah. yeah, so every company has to think both about the future and the present, obviously. And um, the companies that, that tend to be too much pre you know, focused on the present, they tend to just look at, you know, kind of a very sort of a micro uh, perspective on things. And we see a lot of companies do that, and that's quite worrying. I mean, some of them are actually doing quite well right now, but you feel like they're driving, you know, they're driving the car uh, through some you know, fog and they can't really see very far. Mm -hmm. And it might work out for a while, but I think the, the more future-facing companies are the ones which are, are you know, dealing with these two worlds. They're, at the same time, they're squeezing everything they can, the final dropout of you know, the profitability and efficiency of the system that they have going, but at the same time, they're exploring and looking you know, to the future, and they are, they are doing what we call future creation, which is, which is kind of a mix of, of envisioning and strategizing and prototyping the future through different scenarios. And that's a really healthy thing to do, and I think uh, we all believe here that that's something that every company should engage in, you know, future creation. In other words, like trying to really envision what is going to happen and what your role in that future could be. If you don't do one or the other, you're going to fail. And that's not to say that you should only play in the future. You should, you should definitely play in the present. Yeah, I was just going to ask, ask about that. Is there but a it's a balance. Yeah, exactly. So you have to strike the, strike the chord between, between yeah, both. Yeah. yeah. And uh, these future co's tend to have a very healthy balance. Uh, I would maybe say 50-50. I think it's quite difficult to, to define what sort of like how much of the effort should go into one or the other. But they are definitely very future-facing. So they know what's coming. Like at the same time that they are, for example, exploiting a current technology, they're already understanding what the next, next platform will be and they're already playing with it. They're already trying to work out how they're going to make the transition from one platform to the another one, as one example. Sure. And when you talk about making making that transition and kind of figuring out the right right steps to take, what tools and processes can companies apply to 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 kind of ensure that that's a successful process and they indeed indeed do do make the right step and not completely completely sidestep, for example, the current business that they're mm. in at the moment and disregard that completely. Yeah, I think I think it's a number of different things that you have to. To merge, like on one hand, it's definitely about having breakthrough insights. So, and breakthrough in insights can come from many different things. But let's say you have to understand the macro environment. You have to say, look at the trends. You have to look at you know what's happening, both in the, in the market, you know, legislation, like all these kind of macro factors. Then you have to zoom in on your consumers. Obviously, see what's going on in their lives. How are attitudes changing? How are behaviors changing? Uh, you have to look at yourself and understand, you know, what is authentic to you and and how are you sort of uniquely positioned to do something and then by sort of synthesizing uh, your learnings uh, you can have you know frame different opportunities and that's that's again like referring back to our idea of this future creation which is another term that we use uh, we combine that with then envisioning uh, future visioning exercises and then you know strategizing and prototyping and when you do that really well you are able to create and even 
help uh, teams to, to really envision what could be a new reality. But without that, it's quite difficult if you just play with your analytical toolbox like mm. so many companies do. And I mean, Alyssa, we, we talk a lot about attitudes and beliefs, for example, and changing mindsets in order to ensure that, that the future is secure in a sense and that, that you will succeed in it. Um, so it's not necessarily down to a single innovation, for example. It, there's much more kind of inner workings within an organization and a company that need to change and that need to future orient themselves, if you will. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. So I, I think there's been a you know a massive movement. We are all aware of companies bringing innovation into their culture and learning how to do innovation. So, for example, if it's not tech-oriented based intellectual property, that is the innovation itself, how do you integrate an innovation process to become more relevant for the future, become more relevant for your consumers, to ensure you have a, a business uh, that survives um, <coughs> any kind of disruption that's currently happening in, in your space? But... <coughs> You know, it's it's actually about integrating other aspects. So, okay, yes, you have to be innovative, but you also have to learn how to handle innovation. So, for how do you work in an agile manner within the organization? What are the mindsets or beliefs that need to be changed to help your organization succeed in in creating new ways of working, or or taking new steps, or taking new risks, uh, creating new behaviors? And there's a lot of um, you know, within design, there's a whole field called organizational design, which helps companies structure how will you do the work, how will you create the workflows and processes, how do you standardize um, operating procedures, how do you actually scale and grow a company. And there's a lot of these organizational design companies, there's not many in the world, but of the well-known ones, they've been bought by uh, consulting firms because they know there's this need in today's world. And, and also, of course, then how we educate um, young adults and how they enter the workforce. What is the mindset that's coming out of education? How does education need to change? How do we actually learn from different areas? Uh, there was a very interesting uh, scenario, some, some news last week. Um, Tommy Hilfiger giving feedback on using a design sprint in creating his runway collection. And so it's one of the first times you actually see a different way of working that is coming into let's uh, say, l industries or sectors that have more traditional ways of being creative. And for those people who don't know what design sprint is? Yeah, design sprint, yeah. So, th for example, that's a great question. There's a lot of new ways of working, uh, ways of self-organizing, uh, ways of working together with your your team members and working throughout the value chain of, of normal workflows and processes. There's tools for actually creating different methodologies of how you will create something, let's say, in the creation industries. Uh, a design sprint uh, was uh, came out of Google, and um, so there's a book called Design Sprint, mm. and looking at how can they actually create uh, very quick impact using design as a methodology and tool that involves users and consumers and users and the design team and working together within, let's say, five-day sprint to create value, test that value, uh, and ensure that the, the concept or the work, the design work is being refined, so you've more or less nailed it before you go even to considering uh, launch or production execution. Yeah. execution. Yeah. Yeah. I'd just like to go back to what you were talking about, organiza uh, sorry, organizational design. And uh, I think one of the things that we are seeing 
which is definitely a big problem, is that there's a lot of sort of innovation theater going on. And, and what I mean by that is that companies do have innovation processes, perhaps, so they have something in place, but it's not really real in a sense that it doesn't involve everyone and uh, the companies are maybe not using them up to, 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 do, to the way that they, they should be. I think the truly great companies are adopting this idea that they're building creative cultures. And that's something which is very difficult to do, but it's definitely not impossible. But as long as innovation, you know, innovation as a word perhaps isn't so human and inclusive as perhaps creativity is, uh, I think that these companies that treat innovation as someone's job are still not really adopting, you know, the, the whole idea of what's going on here. And what is going on is that we need to have everyone, you know, contribute with their creativity, their ideas, their fresh insights inside a company. You can't afford just to have an innovation director or anyone with innovation in the title to be responsible for the renewal of the whole business, including the, the products and the services and, and everything. So if you had to choose between an innovation team and a creative team, which one would you, which one would you employ yourself? Um, I think, well, the, the good news is that we are basically all have the capacity to be really creative. And I think the bad news is that very few of us have learned how to cultivate those and harness those, that capacity and develop it. I think there's a lot of you know, confidence uh, in, in that people lack confidence in it because they haven't been used to doing that. It's not traditionally something that you're required of you in, in a big corporation. I think it's go- there's going to be a massive shift in terms of, uh, in terms of the requirements of people in, inside companies that you, we have to become more creative. I don't think we're going to need to use the word innovation as much. It's becoming almost like air. You, know, like you have to innovate all the time. So, uh, and especially, you know, given also the perspective, if we take in the perspective of, of uh, automation and all these things that are happening, it's quite clear that, you know, we humans need to do creative work or you know, like complex problem solving. I think even, even more to that point, I mean, the word creative in front of a person's job title, for example, at some point might also become even more meaningless because, like mm. you said, every single one of us has something innately creative in us it's just a matter of finding a way to express that yeah and, and and therefore having distinct teams which are creative might end up might end up you know might become non-existent non-existent completely yeah. at some yeah. point yeah 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 you could also have a title where it says human in, yeah <laughs> instead of creative <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah you know when we look at the current status of, of the, the world today and all of the trends that are affecting how we work and ways of working and tools and methodologies and even human desire of how we want to work as teams and how we want to create change within the world. You know, most businesses exist because they want to create positive change. Um, when you look at the whole spectrum of what's happening, there's a lot of companies who are working to catch up, let's say. They're working in a very reactive state and we need the creative mindset and the beliefs and ways of working in tools to help transition people from being reactive and trying to solve the business problems that occurred over the last 18 months and we need to shift to a more proactive um, and responsive way of working and thinking. And if we think about creativity in itself, it's probably really the key to the lock. You know, mm, like it's, mm. it's really the key to solving all of these uh, concerns about how do we move forward in a healthy way 
and still create impact for everyone that we're touching, let's say from employees to consumers. Mm. Mm-hmm. What are what would be some examples of industries or companies where you feel which you feel are going in the right direction currently? And are there any fundamental reasons that you think that 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 is the case, just in terms of future codes and like we've now been talking about onboarding this creative mindset as opposed to maybe kind of forcing a mindset of innovation? Are there any specific cases that come to mind where this is really uh, really a thing? Being a future co is essential to the existence of a, of a business. Well, um, I think it's essential to every uh, industry, every category, and I think the ones that come to mind are 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 from various different um, industries. It's typically the one that has changed the game and has changed how we experience something or how we how we buy something or, or how we consume something. But those are typically also the strongest brands because they are original and, and you know that's what branding is all about. That's what business and differentiation is all about. If you're the only one in your space and that really matters to people, then uh, you have a typically have a very strong brand. And I think mo well before we go into the example, perhaps I think all the really strong brands that exist that if, if I asked you, like, what's your favorite brand, the likelihood of that company, you know, being a market creator or being a game changer back in the day, maybe it was 100 years ago, maybe it was very frequently, is quite high. Like most strong brands, if you look at the interbrand, you know, top list, they, they have been game changers at some point. But S- startups and game changers. For, for example, someone like Tesla, I mean, you wouldn't say that Tesla necessarily created the market for the electronic car that was an existing, more kind of, I don't know, easily approachable through 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 your prices and so forth, at least in some mm. parts of the world. But they've probably entered that space with a very strong brand mm. and a very strong identity and a very strong idea of how that electric car should be projected, how it should be experienced and how consumers should relate to it, would you say? I would say that they, well, they didn't invent the electric car, but they probably did change the market. I mean, I think uh, in many people's minds, they were they were kind of the first to create a market. I, I don't know. Uh, I didn't. I don't think there was such a, a big co- uh, mm. market for that. I know there was probably Toyota Prius or maybe someone who was first, but I think they entered the the you know collective consciousness of people that now electric cars are here yeah. uh, because of what they did so that's an innovation in itself not exactly. just an invention but actually like a almost like a social innovation yeah if you think about it like the electric car existed as a, as a product category but what tesla did is they took it beyond the product category and they said okay we're going to disrupt this whole market of uh, electric and sustainable electric options so they're not just playing in the electric car product category but they're playing in the whole let's say space or category of sustainable power and they they are an energy company energy company yeah yeah -hmm. Yeah. so let's say who owned that space before maybe actually if we think about that traditionally an energy company has been um the electric company or the the gas company or or the you know the coal providers Mm -hmm. of the world uh, shoveling coal into the system and what you get out is energy and, and electricity or things to to fuel your world, right? So they more or less took over a space where there was a massive white space, massive gap in the market, and they entered and created uh, scale and volume very quickly by changing the ways of working. So, for example, 
you know, some of the most popular popularized images that you see on the internet these days is actually the Tesla factory, where mm. it's robots and not not actually human employees. Of course, there's human employees and uh, people working within Tesla, but you know, it's probably one of the first times that you've actually seen, and it's become okay to have full-on, ro- let's say, robotics on a manufacturing line outside of Detroit. Mm. <laughs> yeah. What is also interesting about Tesla, I think, is they, if I remember correctly, they sold 76,000 cars last year, which is, um, if you contrast that with their market cap of uh, almost 54 billion, uh, I'm not going to try to do the math, but that is like a very expensive company that is selling not so many cars (laughs) compared to all the rest. They're not in the green, I think you would say. Yeah, yeah. But they have a huge market cap. And uh, it says a lot about how people perceive them as game changers, as, as, as someone who's super interesting. It, not just consumers, but investors as well. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of also very small creative companies that are, are trying new things. Um, we talked about organizational design. One company that comes to mind instantly is uh, Noble out of California, and they're an organizational design company, but they have also put a lot of different ways of working into place and thinking and mindsets and beliefs about how to structure a culture and organization. So, you know, uh, biting into their own cookie, more or less. Mm. They have set up a, uh, you know, this is nothing new, but they have set up uh, a company where every employee is an owner you know, m- much like we've heard a lot of bigger, larger companies doing this, like Chobani. Um, but also then, as an as an employee there, you you have full say on how to run the operations. So, for example, that you lead it and you you make the executive decision, as they say. So, if we look at traditional hierarchies within organizations, um, you know that rarely happens within large corporations. And of course, there's there's a small agency working in the field of organizational design, but what they're helping clients and companies do is actually create um, new ways of working as well and, and organizing around what is the work, how do we get the work done collectively together, and how do we implement new ways of, of working together and working with the content we've created. So hopefully that clarified any questions, concerns, or doubts about our intentions that you might have had. Do let us know on Twitter at wonder 2 underscores Inc. if there's anything in particular you feel that could improve the future co-podcast experience. I'm sure there's plenty of things. Please do not hesitate to get in touch with us. We would love to hear your thoughts on topics, people, or any general developments that you feel we're missing out on. Once again, I'm sure there's a bunch. But other than that, have yourselves a great weekend, and we'll be back next week with another episode.